right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, uh, my name is Aaron, teaching pastor for Riverwood. Uh, whether you're with us in person or you're joining us online, really glad you're here on this absolutely frigid February day. This is absolutely ridiculous. Why do we live in Iowa? Uh, these are the days where my wife looks at me and says, surely they need churches in like warm places? Uh, but I honestly, I'm really excited about today. I just, uh, I've, I've just all week as I've been working on my me message, praying about this Sunday, I just had this sense that this is gonna be a really, really good Sunday. So who cares what it's like out there I just trust that God's going to be doing something uh, in here. Uh, before we get to the message, I just want to run through a few things. Uh, we have online notes uh, because of the pandemic. We haven't been passing out uh, the uh, programs, our bulletins, whatever you want to call them. So if you have a smartphone device, uh, whether you're here in person or you're online, you can pull that out and navigate to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash notes R-W. And the capital N, the capital R, and the capital W are very important. You have to have those capitals to get to the right place. Otherwise, I have no idea where you'll end up. Maybe you'll end up on some Russian website somewhere. So capital N for notes and then RW. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, we uh, are really glad that you joined us. We uh, want to honor your presence with us today by uh, donating $5 to Compassion International on your behalf. Uh, we've been doing this now for several years, and it has been an absolute joy to just be making a small difference in the life of a child. So if this is your first time with us, again, whether in person or online, just let us know you're here. If, if you're in person, just take that connection card that's around the clusters of chairs. Take that and just write your name, uh, your, your, your email address on there and just let us know that you were here. If you're online, just send us an email and just say, hey, my name is, you know, whatever. And I was here, it was, you know, you can say it was great to be with you or this royally stunk. But hey, you let us know and we can let uh, uh, Compassion know that you were here and we can donate that $5 on your behalf. Uh, so please do that this morning uh, anytime during the, the worship service. Uh, we've got several serving opportunities coming up. Uh, this Tuesday, we're serving at the uh, monthly food bank. Uh, if you have not signed up yet and want to help, just let us know. We'd like to give uh, Shannon, the uh, local area director, a heads up on how many from Riverwood are coming. Uh, once again, that is at Vineyard uh, Church across from Walgreens. Uh, we just help assemble the boxes around 4.15, and then about 5.15, we hand the boxes and put them into cars uh, in the alleyway behind uh, Vineyard there. So if you can join us, let us know. And if, if for some reason you don't think you can join us and then some Suddenly on Tuesday, you realize, hey, I'm available, come. Uh, whether that's the 415 setup shift or the 515 distribution shift, you can do one or both. We'd love to have you, you join us. Uh, then also, uh, we've set a work day on our new building for February 20th. Th to those of you who have signed up, thank you very, very much. Um, I want to point something out important. We set the 20th just so we would have a time, a deadline, a, a date, but these projects don't have to be done on the 20th. Uh, if, if you're busy, you're, you're, you can't do anything, still navigate to the that list, take a look at the projects, and, uh, and if you can work out another time, we'd love to have your help uh, there. We just want to continue to make some improvements and, and, and utilize this space effectively. So, uh, and, and if you are online and, and you're one of those who's concerned about distancing, maybe we can set up a time, and that way you can be here, uh, whether it's on the 20th or another time, and, and you know that, hey, I'm going to be able to work, and I'm not going to be, you know, interacting with others too much, and uh, not worried about the coronavirus. So we, we would love your help. Uh, that way I don't have to keep trying to do 
everything myself. Trust me, you guys don't want me to do some of these projects. Uh, we will be a, have a better building by me not doing these projects. So please help us out. And then if you are really handy, or maybe kind of like me and not quite so handy, we have a great mission opportunity for you. Uh, Denver Baptist Church over in Denver, Iowa, has invited us to join them on a spring break mission trip, going over uh, to Pine Lake Christian Camp. Uh, in case you don't know, we are part of a, a network of churches called Converge. Uh, Converge has a, a camp in Eldora, Iowa, and we are going to go over and help them just begin to get ready for the summer. So painting, uh, some minor building, just cleaning, getting things ready for their, their summer session that will be starting in uh, June. So it's really laid back. Uh, if, if you want to go just for a day, it's only an hour over to El Eldora. You could drive over, work for a day, and come home. If you want to stay for two days, three days, all five days, just let us know. Actually, you need to let Zach uh, Summerlot, the uh, senior pastor for Denver Baptist Church, know. And they're helping coordinate all this. And it's completely free. You don't have to raise any money for this. You don't have to dip into your bank account. It's free. They will feed us. They will house us. So it's great for the whole entire family to come and participate. Uh, kids can jump in on it too. And if you need to, you can say, hey, we're going to work for two days. And then we're going to take a day to just play. Uh, Pine Lake uh, State Park is right there. You can enjoy the lake. You can go hiking. You could take some time there. It's a really easy laid back trip. They're just thrilled to have any help that we can provide. So if you want to do that, you can write it on the connection card, and I'll send your information to Zach. Or if you want, you can just email Zach directly. His email is in that uh, online handout, and you can let him know. All right, let us continue on with our study in the book of Mark. Back in 1989, the British pop rock group Depeche Mode released their most popular song ever called Personal Jesus. I personally find the song incredibly boring. Like, the melody is only like two notes, just back and forth, and it just drones on and on and on. It is so monotonous, all right? So if you love this song, I need to pray for your soul, because I'm convinced that this song will be played on repeat in hell, all right, in between, like, Spins of Last Christmas by Wham. Right, but there are apparently a lot of people who think that I'm wrong about this. Because back in 1989, this song topped out at 28 on the Billboard charts. In six other countries, it entered into the top 20. This was a very popular song. Now, you may be thinking, like, well, wait a second. Like, 28? That's not that impressive. Like, it didn't go to number one? Oh, but actually, Rolling Stone magazine in 2011 named this one of their top 500 songs of all time. Clearly, they don't know what they're talking about. And... It was the number one selling single on vinyl, this is back in 1989, remember? Number one single selling on vinyl ever for Warner Brothers. Now you're thinking, well, they must not have had very, you know, like good groups with, you know, Warner Brothers. No, actually, this beat out Madonna, Van Halen, Fleetwood Mac. Like, this song was popular. Now, I was not in tune with the American church back in 1989, so I have no idea what churches around the U.S. were saying about this incredibly monotonous song. But I could imagine that there were some preachers, you know, decked out in their full, you know, three-piece suit, big old pulpit, pounding on it, preaching against the evils of this song, because despite the title, this song is not about Jesus Christ. It turns out that Martin Gore, who wrote the song, read Priscilla Presley's memoir called Elvis and Me. And in this memoir, she described Elvis as her personal Jesus. And it inspired Martin Gore so much that he said this about the song. 
It's a song about being a Jesus for somebody else. Someone to give you hope and care. It's about how Elvis was her man and her mentor and how often that happens in love relationships. How everybody's heart is like a God in some way. That's why I suspect there were churches preaching against this song. But I think the reason the song became so popular wasn't because of its amazing melody. Two notes. I seriously think the song became popular because it spoke to the internal heart chord that many of us have been playing. You, you see, everyone is looking for a personal Jesus. Everybody wants something that is going to rescue them out of their pain. And so they do like what Priscilla Presley did. They turn their romantic partner into their personal Jesus hoping that he or she will rescue them out of their loneliness, out of their boredom, maybe out of the stigma of being single. By the way, if, if you're single at, at Riverwood, you, there's no stigma. <laughs> you matter to God, so therefore you, you matter to us. We don't think you're better if you're married or less if you're not, but that's how some people feel. So they turn their romantic partner into their personal Jesus. Other people will try to turn money into their Messiah. Hoping that this money will rescue them from poverty, from invisibility. It'll take them into the promised land of comfort. Other people, they try to turn substances, drinks, food into their personal Jesus. Hoping that it will rescue them from the pains of their past or just the pains of the present. We, we all do it. We all look for this personal Jesus who will rescue us from our sins, from our neediness, from ourselves. I have good news and bad news for you today, though. The bad news is it doesn't work. <laughs> like, you can't turn music or movies or, or food or even Elvis into your personal Jesus. There's only one Jesus. But that actually leads you to the good news. Because that one Jesus is very personal. Today, I hope through the book of Mark that you will see just how much Jesus loves you. That he doesn't just love you in a general sense because, well, you know, God loves the whole entire world. No, he loves you in a personal sense. He knows your pain. He knows your past. He knows your future. He knows everything about you. And he loves you uniquely and personally. And my hope and prayer is that today when you walk out of here or you log off, that you don't walk out of here right back to your personal Jesus. That, that instead you walk out or you log off trusting in the one Jesus who loves you personally. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 7. If you are a first-time guest with us, we open up the scriptures every single week. So we just really want you to have a Bible in hand. Now, if you don't have one, we're going to have the scripture up on the screen, so you're going to be able to read right along with us. We're not going to leave you behind. But we just encourage you, get a Bible into your hand. Whether it's a digital one on your phone or a paper uh, Bible, just get one. So that means go on Amazon or ChristianBook.com or, or stop at Walmart. Or if you just can't even afford a Bible, let us know. We've got some high-quality Bibles we'd love to just give you or download one to your phone we don't care if it's a digital bible here we just want you to have it because my belief is that the more you open it up here on sunday it makes it just that much easier to open it on monday so get a bible into your hand all right so now today is going to be just slightly different in that normally we work through section by section in a book of the bible all right we, we studied the book of mark a bunch in chapter in, in 2020 we had about three months off now we're back at it 
and, and so we just go section by section. Today, though, we're going to be, we're going to finish up chapter 7, pick it up where we left off last week, and then we're going to go over to chapter 8, and we're going to grab another story, because there's two stories that are very, very similar. They, it's almost like they're linked. Uh, you're going to notice pretty quickly that both stories are about healings, and, and so uh, you, you'll catch on there. But what we're going to see also is that in both stories, Jesus takes the guy that he heals into privacy. Also, interesting to know, you, you don't see this on first glance, but this, these two healings are only found in the book of Mark. A lot of Mark, most, most scholars believe that Mark was written before any of the other Gospels. And so you've got Matthew and Luke especially borrowing a lot from Mark. So that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. But th these two healings, they're only in the book of Mark. But probably, I, I really shouldn't say most interesting, maybe most oddly, is that both healings involve spit. All right, let's take a look at uh, our two stories today. Join me in Mark 7, verse 31, and then we're going to jump over to 8, 22, and then we'll pray. Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, scroll down or flip the page to Mark 8 and pick it up in verse 22. And they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him, to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he went, uh, and he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we've now read from the, your holy scriptures. Now teach us from them. God, uh, I just pray that this would not be about what um, I want to say today, but this is about what you need to say to everyone listening. God, uh, everyone who's joining us in person and online are at a different spot in their, their walk with you. Uh, some have been following you for a long time. Some are new at this. Some are, are here wondering what this is all about. So God, I pray that you do what only you can do, that you would speak to each heart and each mind, because I believe that you have the power to not just love the whole world, but to love us each as individuals, to love us uniquely, and to love us personally. So Father, I pray you'd help us to hear that loud and clear today through your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, as we uh, came back to the book of Mark, uh, we'd been away from it for about three months. We uh, picked it back up there in the mid-chapter uh, 7, and we met this Syrophoenician woman. Uh, Jesus did a lot of his ministry down around the Sea of Galilee, a little bit down in Jerusalem. Uh, but on this occasion, in, in mid-chapter 7, we see him 
make this like trip. It's almost like he was going on vacation. Uh, he, he heads up to Tyre, and, and it was not a Jewish community. And it was like he was trying to sneak in and, and just be kind of quiet. But instead, this mom finds him and begs him to heal her demon-possessed daughter. What we saw last week was that she came to Jesus desperately, and yet she was humble. She persevered, but that's because she had this big faith. So we talked about how if, if you're going to approach God, it's okay to approach him desperately. It's okay to, to persevere in prayer. It's okay to have this big faith. But as you approach him, to approach him humbly, allowing him to do what only he can do in the way he wants to do it. But this week, we don't see the same sort of desperation. We don't see the same kind of bold faith. Instead, what we see in both stories is a group of people bring this handicapped individual. The first story, the man is deaf and, and cannot speak. The second story, the man is blind. And they bring him to Jesus, wanting to see a healing. Now, I, I, I would suspect that there's a lot of people that, that bring this man because they truly care for him. You know, maybe it was a, a, a mom or a dad, you know, like neighbors, good friends, and, and they, they genuinely care for this guy. So they want to see him healed. So they bring him to Jesus, wanting him to experience freedom. But the, the, as I read it, I, it's almost like I, I think there are some people who brought the man to Jesus for a spectacle. They, they just wanted to watch Jesus do one of these miracles. I mean, they'd been hearing about it, but now the chance to actually get to see it? That's why I think Jesus, in both stories, takes the man aside privately. In the, in the first story, he just says that he takes him aside. The second story, he takes him outside the village, like gets completely away from everyone. Because you see, Jesus was not there to heal these people for show. Jesus was there to heal these guys because he loved them. Jesus' good works were not to draw the attention to himself. His good works were for them. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, we've got to check our hearts. When we go and serve at the food bank, are we doing it so we look good? Or are we doing it to truly help someone else? If we go on a missions trip down to Pine Lake, do we do it so that we look pretty good? Man, look at Riverwood. Or do we do it because, man, there are going to be kids impacted by Jesus this summer. Jesus doesn't do it to get the attention. He heals these guys because of love. But, but then he does something really unique in both stories. And so I want to look at this uniqueness because I think that the things that he does in these is something that some of us need to hear today. So let's look at the first story. Uh, let's look at the story of the, the uh, 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 deaf man. Pick it up down there in verse 33. It says that Jesus, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. All right, I, I want to just acknowledge, that's weird. All right, Jesus takes the guy aside, gets right into his personal space, touches his ears, and then, as I saw this week, some, most scholars believe, Jesus spit onto his fingers and touches the man's tongue. What is going on? I mean, that, that's not just weird. That, that's gross. You got to realize who Jesus is dealing with. All right? Jesus takes the guy aside privately. Maybe some, a few of the disciples come over with him. And it's just them. They, they, they tell the crowd, no, no, you guys are staying over here. They, they get over there. But this guy can't hear. So even if the disciples start going, oh, you are so lucky. This is Jesus. He's going to heal you. Unless the guy can read lips, he has no idea what's going on. 
Well, just as in American society, there's American Sign Language. I learned this week that they had some sort of sign language in their day. And so when Jesus touches the man's ears and touches his tongue, it's him signing to him, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to restore your hearing and allow you to speak. Okay, that's cool, but why the spit? I was thinking about it. I, I think in our world, in our society, the only person who's allowed to touch you with their spit is a mom. Like a, a mom could look at their kid and go, you've got spaghetti all over your face. You cannot kiss grandma like that. Get over here right now. You know, and they start wiping it off and it magically disappears. You know, your hair is a mess, you know, and, and that, like only moms get away from, with that. Anyone else goes, oh, here, let me, let me help you. Like, no, stay back. Well, it turns out that moms are not the only ones with magic saliva. In Jesus's day, there was this idea that there were healing properties within saliva. So when Jesus spits onto his fingers, it's a sign saying, I'm going to heal you. And that is what would allow this man to stick out his tongue and allow Jesus to touch him with spit-covered fingers. You see, Jesus is bringing this guy aside personally because he loves him. Think it through. Last week, we see Jesus heal a little girl from demon possession and the girl wasn't even there. That's power. And, and this isn't the first time we've seen that kind of power in the book of Mark. We, we saw Jesus in a boat asleep and a storm comes up. The disciples wake him. He just stands up and goes, be still. And the wind and the waves stopped. That's power. We saw Jesus take a little boy's lunch, so, some loaves of bread and some fish, starts breaking them up and feeds 5,000 people. That's power in fact we even saw jesus just walking on his way to go help a little sick girl when suddenly he stops the crowd and goes someone touched me and a woman was healed of her internal bleeding that had been going on for 12 years just by touching the fringe of his robe jesus didn't even look at her he didn't say anything she was healed with the touch that's power so jesus does not need to spit he does not need to touch this man's ears and his tongue. I mean, we see him in there say the Aramaic for be opened, ephaphatha. By the way, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce it. So that's, that's a trick for you, by the way. If you don't know how a word in the Bible is pronounced, just say it like you know, and everyone will just go along with it. Jesus just says, be opened. He could have just looked at the guy, even before he pulled him aside privately. Could have just seen him and gone, ephaphatha. And, and like that, it'd be done. But no, Jesus pulls the guy aside, spends his time doing sign language to say, here's what I'm about to do, spits on his fingers, and does it. Why? Because I think Jesus wanted to get personal. Oftentimes, I think we as Christians, uh, when we read the Bible, especially American Christians, we read the Bible, and we try to see what does it have to say about me. But here we are in the book of Mark, and these stories, they're not about us. They're about Jesus. And so that's why the majority of the time as we're studying through Mark, we're looking at his power. We're seeing how Mark is showing us that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. Like, we need to get a better picture of Jesus. Because if we're going to be a church that loves like Jesus loved and lived like Jesus lived, we need to look at Jesus. But today, I can't help but see the way Jesus acts and the way Jesus loves and realize that the way we see him interact with these two individuals is the way he also interacts with us. So what some of you need to hear today is that Jesus loves you 
personally. Some of us, we, we get the idea that Jesus loves us generally. I mean, for God so loved the world. Okay, I'm, I'm in the world, so okay, yeah, God loves me. No, I need you to hear, Jesus loves you. He knows your past. He knows your sins. He knows your fears. He knows all of it, and he loves you. Which means that through the gospel, he takes you aside and says, I can speak into this. And not just in a general sense, but in a unique sense. See, you need to realize that the gospel is for all, but it's not just a one-size-fits-all. That, that when Jesus says he loves you, it isn't just that like southern y'all, you know, like the whole thing. No, Jesus loves all of us and he loves you. And the gospel pulls us aside and says, I can help you with this unique situation. Let, let me give you an, an, an example. Let's imagine I have two couples approach me. They're not doing well in their marriage. Uh, the first couple, well, actually, both couples have uh, a situation where the wives do not feel love in, in, their, in their marriage, and yet the husbands are saying, I, I, I love my wife. But what we're going to say is the first couple, that the husband tells his wife all the time, hey, I love you. Before he takes off for work, when he gets home from work, before he you know, turns out the light at night, you know, he texts her, I love you. But yet she's still sitting there on the couch in, in my office saying, but I don't feel loved. He says it all the time, but I just don't see it. The, the second couple, though, the, the husband is serving her all the time. She's super, super busy at work. So he steps in and does a ton of the laundry, a ton of the cleaning, a ton of the cooking. He does a lot around the house. And yet she's saying, I don't feel loved. And so both guys are frustrated. Like the one guy's like, I tell her all the time. The other one's like, I'm serving her constantly. How can she not know that I love her? Now, if you just approach it from a general sense, you just slap a little Ephesians 5 on there. Hey, husbands, in, five, in Ephesians 5.33, it says that you are to uh, uh, love your wives as wives are to respect their husbands. But the guys are going, yeah, but the thing is, I love my wife. Okay, let, let's go a little deeper then. Let's go to Ephesians 5.25. That tells us that Jesus loved the church by dying for her. So that's how husbands are to love their wives. They're to die to themselves. But the first husband's going, yeah, but I am constantly dying to myself by sending her texts and doing these little things. The other one's going, I die to myself by serving all the time in the house. But when they realize that the gospel pulls them aside and says, all right, let, let me kind of coach you through this. It means they have to stop and look at their unique situation. And the first husband starts looking at his situation and realizes, okay, I'm saying all the time I love you, but she's not feeling it. What will help her to feel it? And he starts realizing that he has spent all of his time at work, going out with the guys, zoning out in front of the TV. He's not being really present when he's home. So he says the words, but she doesn't feel it. And so for him to die to himself for her sake is to put aside his own plans, to cancel guys' night, to not spend and watching the, the football game, and spend some time serving in the home, jumping in and helping out with the meal, doing some laundry, just, just being around serving. Then when he says, I love you, she now begins to believe it because she not only hears the word, she sees it in his actions. But the second guy's going, but Aaron, I've already been doing that. I'm serving all the time. Well, she, she appreciates it, but has she heard it? Maybe for him to die to himself is to set the room down for a little time, sit down on the couch and like talk with her, converse, just listen to her. Things are really stressful at work. 
Things are going on in her extended family. Things are happening in her heart. And by her spending this time talking to him, she now feels heard. She feels loved. She feels validated. And so when she sees him emptying the dishwasher, she knows he does that because he loves me. Do you see how the gospel speaks into each situation uniquely? So that means the gospel pulls you aside with all of your sin, with all of your problems, with all of your struggles, and says, I speak into this. So maybe you had a bad relationship with your father. That has deeply affected the way you, you approach faith. The gospel says, yes, but your heavenly father loves you so much. Or maybe you've been struggling with addiction, struggling with temptation. The gospel pulls you in and says, all right, but I give you the power that, that when, when Christ died on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes to, to live within you. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now comes to dwell in you. So you don't have to give in to the addiction. You don't have to give in to the temptation. You have the power to overcome it. It's not going to be easy. But just as Jesus was risen from the dead, you can overcome this. The gospel speaks into that situation. You could take the gospel and begin to apply it to your unique moment. Because Jesus loves you personally. It's not just this big, broad band-aid. Jesus gets in there and does the surgery. But Aaron, you're saying to yourself, I've been praying for so long. I've been praying for emotional healing. I've been praying for physical healing. I've been praying for mental healing. I've been praying for spiritual healing. I've been praying for this for so long and it can't come. That's why we have a second story. Turn over to chapter 8. Let's remind ourselves what took place. Pick it up in verse 23. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. All right, pause right there. We know what happens in verse 25. We know that Jesus heals the guy. The guy sees clearly. But I want you to pause right there. Let's pause in the space between the period of verse 24 and the start of verse 25. I want you to imagine how awkward that moment could have been. I mean, this guy has been in darkness. And then he hears that the miracle worker is in town. And the people bring him to him. And then this Jesus guy begins to take him by the hand and leading him out of the village. Can you imagine what that walk would have been like? It's like, this is it. I'm going to get to see. And he brings him out. And he spits in his eyes. What's that all about? He puts his hands there. And then all of a sudden he takes him off and he says, all right, what do you see? I see blurriness. I've had glasses since fourth grade. My eyesight has gotten worse and worse and worse as time has gone on. So right now, as I take them off, you guys are blurry. Now, because I've been looking around, I, I know who most of you are. But if someone walked in, even one of my good friends walked in and sat down in the back, right now I would not be able to know who they are because they would be a blur. They'd be like a tree walking. When I was a kid, I loved to swim. And in case you didn't know, you don't swim with glasses on. So I'd always put them inside my shoe with my towel, pool's edge, by the fence, jump in. So I had to learn to recognize people by, like, the color of their swimsuit. I 
figured out over time that, you know, if the, just the color was down here, it was a guy, and if there was a little color up here, it was a girl. That's about how well I could see. So when Jesus takes his hands off this guy and says, what do you see? I know what that's like to see everything blurry. Can you imagine what that was like for that guy? As he's walking out of the village, he's thinking, this is it. And then Jesus takes his hands away and says, what do you see? And I wonder if he thought, this is it? In that moment, I think there could have been some doubt, disappointment, unmet expectations. But you have to realize, Jesus is up to something. If you're a follower of Jesus, right now, as you're in this earth, you are between the period of verse 24 and the start of verse 25. You've probably seen enough. If you're, again, if this, I'm speaking to those of you who follow Jesus. You probably saw clearly enough the cross of Christ. You know that God loves you. Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You saw that clearly enough. But yet, life's still blurry. You don't understand why God hasn't provided you with the job. You don't know why he hasn't given you a spouse or why he hasn't given you a child. You don't understand why your finances continue like they are. You don't understand why your health continues the way it is. You don't understand why the relationship continues to be broken. Because you thought, hey, I see God clearly. He's powerful. We see in the scriptures. Jesus can do all these things. So why is it like this? Life seems blurry. I can't help but wonder if that's what it was like for this guy. He's, he's in this moment. He thought he was going to get something great. And instead, he gets this. It's kind of like when, you know, you, you have a new baby born into your family or maybe you have an injury. And so a friend says, hey, I'm going to bring over a meal. Great. Thank you. That'd be wonderful. And then you taste it and it's the worst thing you've ever had. Like, what do you do? Thank you, but don't ever do that again. Like, that's the predicament this guy is in. I thought I was going to get healed, but is this all I have? Now, seeing some things are a little better than, than darkness. But I mean, come on. This guy has heard about Jesus. He's heard that this guy stopped a storm. He's heard he fed 5,000 people. He maybe heard about the woman who touched the fringe of his robe. Maybe he even just heard about the Syrophoenician little girl who'd been had a demon exercised out of her. So he knows about the power of God, and yet, can Jesus not cure blindness? I mean, surely stopping a storm is a lot harder than helping someone to see. So, so has Jesus failed? Or does maybe Jesus just not fully care? Or, or maybe Jesus is punishing me? Maybe he's only going to give me a little bit because I have to pay for all these other things? This is the only two-stage healing we see Jesus do. Did you know, everything else he does happens like that, except in this one, which tells us Jesus is doing this intentionally. There's something deeper going on. And I think what he's doing is he's testing the guy, saying, do you trust me? Because in that moment, when Jesus takes his hands off, and he's caught between the period of 24 and the start of 25, the guy could have thought, are you kidding me? This is what I get? Or he can think, oh, 
I can now see some. Like, he did some. I now see people walking. Yeah, they look like trees, but I can see something. Like, maybe I won't bump into quite as much furniture. Like, this is good. And if Jesus could do this, maybe he can complete it. The guy trusts Christ. And God does it. Jesus puts the hands back on him, takes him off, and the guy can see. So the question for you is, in the middle of your blurriness, will you trust Christ? The Apostle Paul, when he was writing uh, a letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote what many people have nicknamed the love chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 13. But towards the end of that chapter, he says this. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The city of Corinth was known for its mirrors. However, their mirrors were not like ours, especially the great big obnoxious ones like in the nursing mother's room. We, We step in front of a mirror in the bathroom every day. We can see crystal clear. But their mirrors were made of polished bronze. Now, they polished it really, really smooth so you could see your reflection in it. That would be really, really cool. But you couldn't see down to the nitty-gritty, the details. Like, you could look into that mirror and see enough to go, ooh, bad hair day. But you couldn't look in and see, oh, I got a pimple on my nose. I got food stuck in my teeth. Why didn't someone tell me? Like, you couldn't see that because it was dim. And yet, Paul is saying, if you're in this life right now, It's like looking through a bronze mirror. You can see enough, but it's dim. You can see the people walking, but they look like trees. But did you hear the other part? He's saying right now, we look through a mirror dimly, but then, someday, at some time, we will see clearly. That's what you need to hold on to. Will you hold on to Christ, trusting him, Because I promise you, if you will, you will see clearly. It might be next week. It might be in a couple years. It might be in a couple decades. Or as Paul is alluding here in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 12, it might be when this life is done and you step in to heaven. But you know what happens? When you hold on to Christ, you go through the fuzziness, the blurriness, you look at through dimly, when suddenly things become clear, whether in this life or the next, do you know what you're going to see the clearest of all? A personal Jesus. So hold on. Trust him. Because he loves you uniquely and personally. His gospel speaks into whatever situation you find yourself And if you will hold on, if you will allow this gospel to continue to saturate you and be a part of you, things will get clearer, I promise. And you will experience the greatest joy you have ever known. But it will come through faith. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for everyone listening to this, whether they're they're right here in in uh, our space, whether they're joining us online or they're listening to the podcast later in the week, I pray right now you'd minister to their heart, that they would hear you clearly, 
saying, I love you. You are mine. You matter to me. That you, they would allow your gospel to speak into their situation. That they wouldn't just play the general Christian thing, but they would allow you to work in them, to sanctify them, to make them more like Jesus. So God, right now, would you just help us to give over our fears, to give over our addictions, to give over our, our struggles, to give over our selfishness, to hand it all to you and allow your gospel to come in and to heal us and change us. God, would you give us your eyesight? Would you help us begin to see a little clearer how you are at work? Help us to trust you in all things, in all ways. God, we need you. You came for us. And through the cross, you pull us aside. You say, you're mine. I love you. Let me in. Trust me. I can heal you. So Father, I pray you'd work right now as you hear the prayers of your people, as they take just this moment to cry out to you and to pray.